I am getting situated here. If you all want to turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it is going to be uh, page number 1056 in the Pew Bibles if you don't have an electronic device you're pulling out. And I just I have to say the, the excitement I had when uh, Brother Sean asked me to preach and, and pointed to 2 Timothy 3. I went back through some of my notes. I realized that I had preached it here twice before at various occasions. And, um, and as a word of encouragement, Steve Kinman comes along and says to us, well, perhaps this is the Lord providing yet another chance because the third time's the charm. So thank you, Steve, for that. Now, there's a, uh, there's a chandelier that, that hangs up in our boys' room, and it doesn't quite work right. Now, Clay helped me put it in. And we probably have different stories as to why it works the way that it works. <coughs> so I'll, I'll give my, uh, my side of this. We, uh, we, we come in, we, we pull out all the boxes and start just tearing packaging off and pulling out all the big pieces that we need to put together. And as, as we're putting it together, I notice Clay do something strange. He grabs this little book and heads over to the corner and just starts reading. And I'm like, I didn't ask you here to read. I asked you to here to help me put this in. So I start working, putting things, lifting heavy objects, unscrewing, pulling wires. And, and, and about halfway through this process, I look over at Clay and I say, Clay, listen, we are going to have enough time to read that instruction manual at the end of this process when we're trying to figure out why it's not working. And so... <laughs> We get it installed finally. He puts the instruction manual down, and, and, and for the most part, it works fine. I, I would argue it's safe. It, uh, we, we don't have fan blades falling or, or hitting anybody, uh, but, but for some reason, the switch doesn't work, so it's always powered on. Fortunately, we've got a remote that'll turn it on and off, but, uh, but through this process, I, I really got to thinking about the role of instructions and the importance of instructions, and, and in, in Second Timothy, what we see is Paul telling Timothy um, about the designer's instructions and the importance of instructions in our life. And, and, and as, as I was talking with Colin about kind of how we reflect on what Scripture is, its essence, its importance, um, th this idea of the, the instruction manual, I think, can be a helpful one, but... More often than not, we tend to treat Scripture much like the instruction manual that I mentioned earlier. It's kind of that thing that we pull out when things are just going wrong, and it's one opinion among many. We tend to not try to study it in community with others. We want to just hide away and deal with our problems on our own and try to read the troubleshoot section and then many times what we find is these instruction manuals written by engineers are often confusing to us. And so we try to figure it out and then we just give up. Now, how much of that is true with your view of Scripture? Now, there, there's, a, there's an interesting uh, thing that's happening right now in our world. Uh, this, this movement of life coaches have we heard of this? Have y'all seen this on lots of Facebooks? The, uh, there's a quote here I read from an article on CNBC that said this life coaching is part of a $2.85 billion industry. So people are looking for advice. People are looking for answers. And as we read through this article, we see that ICF estimates there's around 71,000 professionals, 71,000 that are just out there giving advice. 23,000 of which are here in North America. 
Now, the, now the, the wildest part of this is between the time frame of 2015 and 2019, which is here recently, this industry has grown by 33%. 33%. So people are out there looking for advice. The fact that it's a $2.85 billion industry, these people are paying for advice. And yet we're living in a world where people are increasingly opinionated and simultaneously biblically ignorant. So folks are looking for advice, they need the advice, and yet when they go to get the advice, it is not from the truth of God's word. Now I would say today that as we go through scripture, we're going to see that Christians are a people of the word. And in good Baptist fashion, I'm going to try to alliterate this in three P's, that we are to persevere in the word, to profit from the word, and to pursue the word. Now let's read from the scripture. 2 Timothy 3, starting with verse 14 on page 1056. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. Pray with me as we enter this text. Lord, I come before you needing you today. In the many hours of preparation, I, I pray, God, that I listen to you, that if there be words here today that are not your words, that you would shut my mouth. And God, more importantly, I pray that your people would walk away today being changed, being transformed by your truth. God, we praise you for the word that you've given us, for the, for, for the multitude of, of, of copies and study materials we have to dig deeply into it. I pray, God, that you would make your people a people that has a heart to hear from you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Now, if you remember in this text, Paul is writing to Timothy from prison. And so Paul is essentially awaiting his death. So he is writing this as a dying man, and he's given Timothy a charge. He's given Timothy an encouragement. Earlier on in 2 Timothy 2, we read Paul write, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So Paul was bound. He said, But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul here is saying that he may be bound, but it's not about him. It's about this word of God reaching God's people. 
converting God's people, training God's people. And so you can see here, Tim, Timothy is being encouraged by Paul. And I think today we're going to see that he is telling Timothy that Timothy and God's people are to be people of the word that perseveres in the word, that profits from the word, and that pursues the word. Let's look at verse 14, and we're going to see the perseverance in the word. Paul uses this word, continue. He tells Timothy, continue on. So this word continue, it, it, it means to, uh, to just be firmly planted, to stay within, to not drift from. This is where I get the word persevere. NLT translate this as remain. So if he's going to be in the word and continuously in this, this training, he's got to do it in community. So we see the example of Timothy in community. That he was trained by his mother, he was trained by his grandmother, he was within a family of faith, he was learning. He was tenacious in his study. We are to be tenacious in our study. In 2 Peter 1 verse 20 it says that, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. We see in the verse after this, the way the scriptures were made, it was a powerful movement of God through the people of God to produce the very word of God. And the very word of God was one to be studied, to be understood, to be learned, not in isolation, but in community. And Paul encourages Timothy through his learning in community. So he has to be tenacious in his study, but not just tenacious, he must trust, trust the scripture's authority. We see here that, that Paul uses the phrase firmly believe. The KJV says assured of. And so Timothy is putting himself solely under the authority of Scripture. He is trusting it as authority. And we think about that in context. All these voices, all these voices, these coaches, these opinions. Where are we placing our trust? Where are we hearing for God's voice? And if we're going to study tenaciously, if we're going to trust in its authority, then we will be transformed by its power. Paul says here that it will make you wise. Timothy, it's going to make you wise unto salvation. And we see similar language in Isaiah 15, 11, where it says that God's word will not return to him void. We see in Psalm 19, 7, the law of the Lord will revive the soul. In Romans, 11, or Romans 1, 16, that the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation. Think about this for a second. In Genesis 1-1, God spoke. And he turned nothing into what we see today. The very word of God has that power to transform. It's got that power to transform us. Bruce Ware talks about a method of transformation where it starts with the head and then it moves to the heart and then it moves to the hands and then ultimately to the habitat. So we follow those kind of four H's through. It says, first with the head, we have to put the word of God in our head. We have to do that in community. We have to work with each other to understand the truth of God's word so that it can transform our thinking. As it transforms our thinking, it transforms our emotions. People act and perform and they do what they most want to do. They do what they feel is right. But many times our feelings are not influenced by the wisdom of God. Our feelings are influenced by our own fleshly desires. So in order to change those fleshly desires, we've got to change the way that we think 
about ourselves, about the world around us, about our church, about our family, and ultimately about Christ. Now, as a personal testimony, I'll, uh, I'll share that I've always grown up with a kind of, a, a, I'd say, a high view of Scripture in word, but not necessarily in deed. It was, uh, it was common for me to, to just, I'd go to Sunday school, learn a new Bible story, I'd, I'd hear some Christians talking, I'd pick up on a few verses, and I'd learn just enough to have an appearance of godliness while still denying its power. It was not transformative, it was not transformational for me. And then when God grabbed me, converted me by the power of his gospel, I was confronted with Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. I had always wanted to know, what is the will of God? What's the will of God for my life? You know, what's he really got planned for me? And what scripture was telling me is that, hey, it's, it's there. But for us to really discern what it is, we have to be transformed. We have to be transformed in our mind and the way we think. And as, as I think about this, I, I, was, I was doing some math earlier today because math's fun. How many hours do you spend listening to or studying scripture? Now for many Christians today, or professing Christians, if you think about it, even on perfect attendance, they've got 52 hours in church. Of those 52 hours, 30 to 45 minutes of that is the sermon, the teaching, the training on the Word of God. So over the course of a year, that adds up to somewhere around 26 hours. 26 hours of teaching of God's Word. And if that's all we do, that's less than what most people binge watch on TV throughout the course of a week. And so over the course of a year, if we are being transformed by what we are taking into our minds, how much of that transformation is coming from the Word of God? How much of it is coming from the fellowship within the community of the believers? And how much of that's coming from secular sources? So we have to be we have to be people that are tenacious in our study. We have to trust in the word and then we have to be transformed by it. So if we're gonna be transformed by it, if we're gonna truly pursue, pursue it and persevere in it, then that means that we've gotta be people of the word that profit from the word. If we're gonna profit from the word, we have to recognize the word is supernatural. So uh, Paul uses this word, God breathed, or theopneustos. It's, it's this idea that, that the very word of God is, is expiration is from God. So while holy men of God carried along by the spirit of God wrote it, it was a supernatural appearance of the word of God. It's his true revelation. Many of us seek out and they say, well, I just wish that God would speak to me. I wish that God would give me a sign. I wish I could hear a good word from God. And it's here. We have it in Scripture. We need to uncover it and discover it in community. So this Scripture is supernatural. Hebrews writes, in, uh, the author of Hebrews writes in 4.12 that it is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. 
It's able to split joint and marrow, pierce the division of soul and spirit, and ultimately discern the thoughts and the intentions of the human heart. Remember I said head, heart, hands, ultimately going to affect the habitat. The scripture is powerful enough that when we look into it, we see the intentions of our heart. And sadly, we find a lot of times those intentions are not pure. They're not as well-intentioned as we would like to see. And I was in, a, in conversation with Colin earlier this week. He, was, he encouraged me. He said, he said, you know, it's supernatural, but we got we to be careful. It's not superstitious. Right? We, we, we often think about Scripture in a very superstitious way. I remember uh, growing up in Baptist churches, how many of y'all experienced that, that Sunday school, you would go in and you would have your envelope, and it would be your scorecard for the week. Did I study my lesson? Did I bring my Bible? Did I invite somebody to church? And, and at the end of the week, you would tick mark all these and turn it in with your offering, and then that would be your, your scorecard. I always wanted to, to get as many of those as I could with as little effort as I could. And so the one that I knew that I could always get was the bringing of my Bible. Because I was smart enough to just leave my Bible at the church. So you would walk into the, I would walk into the church and I would see my Bible up there on the, uh, the coat rack and I'd grab it on my way to Sunday school and walk in and I knew I at least had one good mark. I also knew at home we had a few copies of the Bible so if the need arise where I need to hear a word from God, I could go over and I could just pull out one of the random copies of the Bible in the corner and now let's say that, that I was really curious about this crush that I had in school. And I said, God, I just really need a, a word from you about this crush. I'd just open it and pop it down. And, and then as I'd kind of be surprised, I'd land on something like Isaiah 15, 6. The waters of Nimrim are a desolation. The grass is withered. The vegetation fails. The greenery is no more. I'd say, well, that, that doesn't quite doesn't quite get it. I'm going to have to go back to the Lord and try again. And you'd repeat this process about 15, 20 times until finally I came across something that I could twist and turn into something that I wanted to hear. You know, oh, well, that's exactly what I wanted to hear from God, so I could put the Bible. This is not the way the Bible is to be used. The Bible is not some superstitious artifact. It's a document that records the Word of God. The power is in the Spirit of God applying the Word to our hearts. So we have to study it. We have to recognize that it is supernatural. And then we have to see it as a schoolhouse. This is probably one of the, the most exciting parts about these, these verses to me is the, the four words that, that Paul uses with Timothy. He says that the Word is to be used for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. Those four things. Now, to, at first read, it looks kind of just like a random, a random use of various words. But when you look at them in the order that they're written and the meaning that they have, you see teaching. That the word is to be used for very formative training so that we have right thinking. So it's going to cause us to think rightly and to grow in our right thinking. Reproof is to correct wrong thinking. So those are the two thinking aspects, remember? Head, heart, hands, habitat. Okay. Correction is then the correction of wrong behavior. 
So I am doing something wrong today, and someone comes along and they say, hey, Scripture says that's not the way that we should live. You need to change the way that you live. I can now correct my behavior. And then training in righteousness is then getting more and more righteous and better in our behavior to the kingdom of Christ. So as we think about teaching, if we are going to be taught, that implies that it's more than just us. It's more than just we as an individual, me as an individual being taught. It means that there's a teacher, that there's somebody there discipling me, pouring into me, challenging me. Okay? It may mean that there's multiple. So within the family of faith, you know, especially here at Hebron, I'm, I'm so very blessed that we've got life groups. We're launching a discipleship program. Okay? We're very passionate about people being poured into. So that's what the word is there. The word is there for us to be taught in very practical and applicable ways. Now, sometimes, though, there's a bit of a bridge that we've got to make from what the Scripture says to then what that means for us. Okay? First step of that is just basic interpretation. This is good hermeneutics. And if we're going to have right thinking, then one of the first things that we learn is the Scripture is not about us. The Scripture is about Jesus. It's about His creation. It's about His crucifixion. And it's about His kingdom. And so we are mere participants in this glorious activity that God is unfolding to bring him glory. And I'd argue that having that right thinking really takes a lot of pressure off of us and really puts our lives in perspective. So we've got to be cautious that in this teaching that we are not just merely creating a list of do's and don'ts. Dr. Brian Chappelle says, a message that merely advocates morality and compassion can remain sub-Christian, even if the preacher proves that the Bible demands such behaviors. By ignoring the fallenness of our world and the works that necessitate God's rescue, and by neglecting the grace of God such that makes obedience even possible and acceptable, such messages subvert the essence of the Christian gospel. So as, as we teach the scriptures, we are teaching the unfolding and the revealing of Christ so that we have in Christ our Redeemer, our Rescuer. And we see His kingdom unfolding, the kingdom in which we will be able to gladly participate and worship and spend eternity. So to think rightly about the Scriptures, to recognize that they're not about us. Now they speak to us, a lot which we need to hear. And they will reprove us. So reproof, this is correction of wrong thinking. When we find ourselves in this pit of despair, thinking that, oh, this, what, I'm not getting what I deserve. I really deserve to have this or to have that or to, or to be in this condition. The scriptures can come in and reprove us and cause us to think differently and remind us that it's not about us. And so as our thinking is corrected, then our behavior can be corrected. And that's where this word correction comes in, correcting the wrong behaviors. And this is done in community as well. In Galatians 6.1, we see, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourselves lest you too be tempted. And throughout Scripture, we see this picture, this picture of the family of faith coming alongside of one another, correcting each other's thinking, encouraging one another to continue to think the right thing, correcting behavior. And then ultimately we see them, the training in righteousness, 
the training in righteousness. Now, earlier in, the, in, the, in 1 Timothy, the, the previous letter, Paul writes, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We are all being trained in some way. Many of us in our careers are being trained to get better at our job. Many of us in, in, in the school systems, we're getting trained to be prepared for something else. So we've all been trained in many ways. Well, Paul is saying all that training may have some value, but the real training that we want to endure and embrace is that training in godliness. And this is what the community of faith is to do, to come together, to open up the word of God, to seek out his voice, to see Christ's kingdom, and then to live it out. So we see there those four words, the teaching, the reproof, the correction, the training in righteousness. And that is how we profit from the word. Now, as we teach, reprove, correct, train in righteousness, we see one thing here that it, it presents the man as fully complete or competent, fully competent, thoroughly or adequately equipped for every good work. Now, when Paul uses that phrase, that right there is saying that the scripture not only is supernatural and a schoolhouse, but it is sufficient. The word of God is sufficient. And, and I, and I want to... I want to just pause on that. Let's think on it. What do we mean when we say the word of God is sufficient? Are we going to go to scripture and try to learn how to build a carburetor? No, we're not. I don't even know. Do you build carburetors? Does that happen anymore? But if we have problems in our family, are we going to go to the word to learn how should I order my home? How should I discipline my children? How should I live amongst others in the family of faith? How should I thrive day in and day out in the wicked world, the wicked modern day world that we live? Absolutely. How should we organize our church? We're having a lot of conversations on that right now. And we've got to go back to the scripture and say, how should we apply what God has so graciously revealed to us? It will help you order your family, your finances, your relationships, your personal behaviors. It is sufficient. And it says there, for every good work. Not just some good works. Not just most good works, but for every good work. So if you are seeking advice and looking for a way that you should live or behave or think, we've got to go to the scriptures first. And we've got to go in community. Now many of us would say, hey, I'm with that. I, I agree. I agree in word. But I still like to be able to open that Bible and drop my finger. And I'm really looking for God to speak to me. I'm looking for, for words outside of Scripture. John Owen, a favorite quote of mine, he says, If private revelations agree with Scriptures, they're needless. If they disagree, they are false. So when Scripture is the standard, when we're truly looking at Scripture as the Word of God for how we should behaves, how we should act, how we should really grow his kingdom. Anything outside of that is either redundant and needless or false. So we look to scripture for the ultimate truth. I remember some years ago, 
I was in a, in a men's Bible study, and, and uh, one of the facilitators was just kind of walking us through how to be men in Christ, and, and, um, and, and we had a new member come in that, that evening, and the, the new member was real sad and distraught, and, and I remember at one point, he just kind of shared, he said, said, hey, if you guys could just pray for me, uh, my wife and I are in a real bad spot, she's kicked me out, uh, we've had lots of differences, and, and I, just, I just need some prayer. And the facilitator commented back with some worldly wisdom. He said, you know what? He said, we will pray for you. I, I just want to encourage you. Sometimes even Christians can't make it work out. Well, in my youthful zeal, I felt the need, this whole class needs to be corrected. Um, in, in the process, I, I disobeyed 1 Timothy 5.1 says that you're supposed to not rebuke an older man. You're supposed to encourage him as a father in the faith. Uh, so so I, I don't think my, my intervention was as fruitful for the facilitator because it was done in sin. But I stood up and I said, listen, if that comment is right, then this Bible is wrong. Because this Bible says that we can live at peace. Doesn't mean it's easy, but that comment's not right. And so I, I rebuked him, so that didn't go very far. But what I did is I went over to the, the young man. I said, I said, hey, listen, I don't even know the answers, but I know the Scripture does. Come, let's, let's hang out together. Let's pray together. We're going to wade through Scripture, and we're going to really try to discover what, what you need to do. And as we unfolded page after page of Scripture, he joined our life group, and, and, um, and we just went through Scripture together. And we saw that, that Christ pursues the church. And that that model of the gospel is the gospel for marriage. The husband needs to pursue the wife. And I said, you need to go pursue her. You need to go after her. You, you need to repent of your sin. You need to confess your pride, your arrogance, your fear to her. And then pray that God would see fit to bless your response. I, I, I praise the Lord today because... Um, while, while we don't get to talk very often, I see him on Facebook, and uh, him and his wife are raising a daughter together. And, uh, and every time I see their pictures as a family, it just blesses my heart to see the glory and the grace of God displayed, the gospel picture of that marriage, because he had trusted in the sufficiency of Scripture. He had applied the sufficiency of Scripture as life and followed in Christ's footsteps. So scripture is sufficient, and we will profit from it. Now, if we're going to profit from it, that means that we must pursue it. So in many of the cases that I've kind of worked through it, it sounds very passive. Well, I'm going to be taught. I'm going to be corrected. I'm going to be, people around me are going to kind of come after me and flood me with this. Well, no, that's not just the case. It says that we've got to pursue it. And as we transition here into chapter 4, we see Paul warning Timothy. He said, listen, in the last days, in the last days, these people are going to reject and run from and flee from sound teaching, and they're going to accumulate for themselves, gather together, pull together false teachers. <laughs> Why are they going to do this? Because they've got itching ears. People are going to look for other people to tell them what they want to hear. And many times pastors will use examples of, of, of Joel Osteen or, or false preachers, and, and I, I would argue that this is far beyond just where you go on Sunday. This is what advice columns you listen to, what blogs you follow, 
what sites you read on Facebook, or even the friends that you bring into your life and ask them to speak truth into your life. That many times we will gather together false teachers around us, and then we will listen to pastors or the Word of God as maybe one part of an overall chorus of information. And he's, he's cautioning to me, he said, be careful. Be careful, this will happen. Now his church to Timothy, he says, you need to pursue the word despite the season. He says, in season or out of season. Now, for those of us that have been church at some time, have seen that churches have seasons. There are seasons of growth and excitement where it just seems like people are getting saved. There's other times where it seems like things are kind of stagnant. Sometimes where it feels like people are falling away and leaving. Okay, there's going to be seasons and fluctuations. Okay. Paul's even writing to Timothy in a time which they're going to be persecuted. So there's going to be seasons of persecution. In all those various seasons, there is temptations for the pastor to drift away from the core purpose of just preaching the word. They become to be pragmatic or ex experimental. It's like, oh, you know what? If I start talking about the, the, the modern day video games or the movies and leave aside the, the scriptures, then maybe it'll attract more people in. I'm going to control that season. Or, or, or they'll say, they'll say, well, you know what? We're losing some people because there's some upset families. They didn't like what I said or how I said it. So maybe I just need to change my approach, change my message, change the, the word because I don't want to upset people. So Paul's charge to Timothy is, no, 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 no. You need to fear God and preach his word, regardless of the season. Now, what does that mean for us? The challenge for us is that we need to seek out truth teachers and pursue the word and be cautious about what influences we're bringing into our life. So despite the season, despite our selfishness, if we're honest about it, the reason that these people are seeking out false teachers, the reason that we seek out false teachers is because sometimes some false teaching can be very soothing to us. By gosh, when I'm angry with my wife and, and, and I'm just mad about her not doing everything that I want, I love it when I can call another man and say, man, women, huh? And they can, they can pat me on the back and be like, yeah, I know. They're crazy. That's false teaching. Right? What I should be seeking out is somebody that can come in and say, are you living with her in an understanding way? Are you loving her as Christ loved the church? Are you really enduring all things as the law of love commands us to do? And that's the kind of teaching that I need to seek out. But my selfishness often drives me to want to hear other false teachings. Teachings that lift me up and don't lift Christ up. So despite the season, despite our selfishness, and despite the specialist, the secular specialist, there is a pantheon of voices today, all those life coaches positioning themselves as professionals with words of wisdom that are going to be very encouraging to your lives. If you look back at what these voices are based upon, it is usually God-hating or occult-like forms of atheism or anti-gospel truth. Now, Satan masks as an angel of light, so they may even use Christian words, 
They may even use scripture or biblical language. Or they'll pretend like, oh, you know what, yeah, you can, you can be a, a Christian. I, I went into the, the, the Church of Scientology down the road here, and uh, this is several years back, and, and started trying to confront them about what they were trying to teach and, and, and learn from them, you know, what exactly are you trying to teach? And, and they said, oh, no, you can be a Christian when you come here. There are many Christian Scientologists. This is about basic, applicable, you know, hey, this is how you be a better employee, how you be a better follower, how you, all basic. And then as I got to probe farther and farther in the conversation with them, what they were saying was, yeah, you can come here a Christian, but once we've got your money and once we've brainwashed you, you're not going to be one. These false teachers, they're, they're, they're everywhere. They mask themselves as helpful. They're in our churches. Sometimes they're even our Christian friends, encouraging us with words that we want to hear, <laughs> pointing us to specialists. These folks that reject sound teaching require people to seek out false teaching or true teaching. I remember not long ago, I was uh, asked by one of our board members at our company, you know, what kind of people have influenced you most? And he was doing a bit of a competency assessment of me. You know, what, what kind of player are you going to be in this company? And uh, as, as he said, what kind of voices influence, or what kind of voices or people have influenced you most? I rattled off, I'm like, I'm going to impress this guy. I rattled off all these business authors and past bosses and customers and, and this long list of secular voices. And he's, okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's great. And a few years later, I got to thinking and reflecting on that. It, it, was, it was extremely convicting that not once did I say any of my pastors, not once did I say any, any of my Sunday school teachers or life group leaders, no, no theologians, no. And the most convicting thing was not my misrepresentation of Christ and the situation, but it was that I told him the truth. I told him I was very influenced by secular voices by all these forces and voices that were just not Christ-centered. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing in, in kind of modern day, especially in the young men's generation, a very similar situation with uh, this fellow by the name of Jordan Peterson. Okay? Jordan Peterson, if you've watched YouTube videos and you've seen him interact, he's, he's got a lot of really nice advice. Right? The young men around the world are writing him letters saying, you've saved my life, you've helped me order my life better, and um, he's taught a lot. You'll even find him, it's, it's, it's very odd, debating atheists about Christianity. And he'll be positioning Christianity as, as hey, Christ is, is, a, um, is, is an archetype of, of all the best qualities that we've seen in humans over time, and and so as a result, we need to learn more about this figure of Christ and try to be more like him. He'll say that scriptures are, are years of, of evolutionary tradition that have been boiled down into segments of, of real practical truth and that we need, to, we need to have a high reverence for it and use it in our lives. And so as a result, many of his teachings will be somewhat biblical advice, but it's Christless. It's gospelless. It is not pointing to our biggest problem is us. That our biggest need is Christ. And that we are to be participants in the building of his kingdom. And so there's a lot of even 
Christians today being influenced by this voice. We see the same movement in secular, social, psychological sciences. These modern day specialists. You can see the progression of their writings over the last few decades. In early stages, they would identify lists of sinful behavior, blend them in with actual medical conditions, and, and they'll say that these things are things that people struggle with. And more modern times, what they're saying is these sinful conditions are not the individual's fault. It's either their environment that caused them, or even worse, that the environment needs to accept their sinful behavior, affirm it, to bless it. And if you are a Christian voice speaking biblical truth, you're part of the problem. So we've got to be cautious about what these voices are telling us, what truths that they're trying to tell us. Um, we, we often get pushback or sideways glances when we talk about our children being born sinners. No, they're born depraved, as one of Heidi's professors called it. They're, they're um, vipers in diapers. They need Jesus. And so as we start talking about this with, with others that are not in the family of faith, uh, we get a lot of sideways look, sometimes even kind of accusations of child abuse. I just, why, why would you say that? Why, would you, why, why are you getting your parenting truths from an old book? We, we've even been handed parenting books. So here, maybe you should check this one out. It teaches a child-centered, godless, Christless approach to raising children. These voices are everywhere. A lot of this comes from this, this mentality, well, God's, if, if God does exist, he's not that mad. You're not that bad. You don't really need Jesus. You need to follow your heart. We're seeing very similar things in modern-day children's movies. Have you all seen the, villi the, the villain origin stories that are coming out now? Generations ago, when a villain was a villain, it was because they were evil and had an evil heart. Now it's because they had a good heart, but something bad happened to them, so it's not really their fault. They're just misunderstood. And by gosh, if they really follow their heart to become who they were originally intended to be, then they can redeem themselves. That's anti-gospel. And it's being sewn into the very fabric of our culture and even infiltrating our churches. So we, we've got to recognize that, that the true gospel is teaching that we are that bad, but we can be redeemed, not by our work, but by Christ's work, because of who he is, what he's done, and how the Holy Spirit can come in and change us. So we have to pursue the word. Now I'm gonna ask you today, are you gonna persevere in the word? Think about your day-to-day -day behaviors. How are your quiet times? Are you going to the Word daily, trying to understand what the Word is teaching you? Are you personally learning in community about Christ? How are you being taught? Are you being taught? Are you being discipled in some way? Are you, are you discipling others? Are you participating in the family of Christ? And then not just the, the teaching and perseverance, but how are you profiting from the word? What kind of results are you seeing? Are you seeing the, the word teach you to think differently, to change your mind about things? Are you seeing it being applied in every area of your life? I used to do this in life, and then as I was confronted with the truth of the word, I now do that. 
And are you actively pursuing the word? What kind of selfish ambitions do you need to repent of? What kind of worldly teachers do you need to flee from? Think about, I said the 26 hours. How do we fill out the other hours throughout our year? What kind of voices are we hearing? Do you need to seek out someone to disciple you? We want to create a community here where it should not be awkward at all for someone to walk up to someone else and say, will you disciple me? It should not be awkward at all for someone to come along somebody else and say, you know, I see you're struggling. And I may not know the truth, or I may not know exactly what you need, but I know the scripture does. And I want to help you. So do you need to seek out someone to disciple you? Now, as we talk about the importance of the word, I want to set that aside to say that it is more important to know the author of the word. And so if you are here today and you do not know the author, if you have not had a relationship with Christ Jesus, today is the day that you can be saved. Today is the day that you can look upon Christ and trust in what he's done for your salvation. Now, if you know Christ, but you're not plugged into a life group, some type of discipleship community, Today's the day that you can start. So at the end of this service, we're going to be out those doors to the left at the Next Steps desk. And if you want to make today the day of your salvation and know Christ, come talk to us there. If you want to get plugged in somewhere into a life group or we're in the beginning stages of starting a three-on-three discipleship program, in fact, tomorrow morning... If uh, Mark will be awake by then, Mark and Al, we're going to meet together and talk through Scripture and be discipled. And if you want to be included in that as it rolls out, please let us know. Because we're looking for folks that are willing to say, I need to know the truth of Scripture. I need to pursue what Scripture is telling us. So we're going to be right out front. We'd love to see you take your next steps with Jesus Christ today. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for the truth that it contains and the revelation of Christ and his kingdom through it. God, I pray that you would bless these people today. Let them forget the man-made opinions of Derek that are not your truth, but let them to be your sheep that hear your voice and walk away transformed by your word. God, we praise you for all that you've done and who you are. It's in Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen.